Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, fitness, prevention, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FitRx. I am your host, Dr. Greg Dennis, and I am here today with Dr. Jeff Picciarillo to help us talk about something called platelet-rich plasma. Dr. Picciarillo is an orthopedic surgeon, did medical school at the Philadelphia Osteopathic uh, School, and did his orthopedic training at the Chicago osteopathic residency. Is that correct, Jeff? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which, um, in Olympic fields, uh, he has since got into things, uh, like platelet rich plasma, which is PRP, which is what we're going to talk about today. And he's going to talk about how he made that transition. So let's see, he is the, now the CEO founder of regenerative, regenerative medical associates in Florida. And also in 2008 opened the center for Total Wellness in Grinnell, Iowa, uh, which focuses on restoration of health. So, uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really honored to, to be part of this. Uh, I've had a passion for PRP uh, dating all the way back to about 2002, so it's always nice when I get to talk about something I really love. Perfect. And I'm, you know, I'm excited to talk to you because, you know, one of the uh, purposes of this podcast, uh, well, there's several, but you know, it's it's to educate my patients just on health and wellness, which I love to talk about. But the other is, you know, one of my passions is I really want to educate physicians, kind of open their eyes to see that the sick model of of you know standard American healthcare doesn't work, uh, and and you obviously realized that a long time ago, and and you're you're kind of doing things the right way. So it's always nice yeah. to, to talk to somebody who has already figured figured that out. So yeah, and it was um, obviously it was a it was a big deal um, back in two thousand and eight, uh, early two thousand and nine when I made that decision. Um, my colleagues thought I was crazy. I mean, literally thought I was crazy because I was taking a very successful orthopedic surgery practice and closing it and going to a cash-based wellness and restoration uh, platform instead of wanting to do surgery. And, and they thought it was crazy, but um, I really had a, I really had um, a feeling at that point that that was the way, that was the way that things should be done. Uh, I was seeing um, a lot of patients coming in and, and we were operating, doing a lot of hip replacements, knee replacements and, and yes, they were getting better, but it wasn't changing their health. It was just, um, it was putting a bandaid on a really big problem. Um, and so we started looking at what we could do to, to make that, to make that problem go away. Great. So talk about that a little bit more. Uh, so you're, you know, in, in a successful orthopedic practice, you started just to see that, you know, these patients weren't getting better. So just talk about that, that transition a little bit more of how you went from that to, to just, you know, kind of doing things differently. And then how that, how that transitioned into discovering something like, you know, PRP. So my discovery of PRP actually even predated that. So in a, around 2002, 
um, one of my orthopedic reps um, brought a centrifuge into the operating room um, and asked me, said, hey, you know, our company has these now. You know, what they're touting is that, you know, while you're doing your surgery, we can have the anesthesiologist draw a couple tubes of blood. Um, we can process it in this machine. And by the end of the surgery, we're going to give you um, a couple vials of plasma um, that's going to be very rich in platelets and it's going to have growth factors. Um, and you can add this to your bone graft when you're doing a hip replacement or you're doing a spine fusion or you have a hard to heal fracture. And you can add this to your bone graft and it's good to make your bone graft incorporate better and grow better. And I said, that sounds wonderful. I said, what's it going to cost the patient? And they said, nothing. And I said, well, what's it going to cost the hospital? And they said, at this point, nothing. We're just trying to see how much data we can collect and how it works. And I said, yeah, I'm all in. So we started playing with it. Um, we started using it literally every place we could. Um, every time that we were taking bone for bone graft, we were adding this platelet-rich plasma, which is now what, it, you know, what we know it as, but we were adding this to our bone graft and we were seeing success. We were seeing, you know, increased rates of healing and um, even in spine fusions and, and former smokers, which was always just bad news. You never wanted to operate on them if you didn't have to. And we were getting, we were getting some good, some good bone growth. And so, some of us that were doing this really started thinking about it and saying, well, where else can we use it? Um, and so then we kind of just started playing and we, um, you know, it sounds bad when a doctor says we started playing, but I mean, it was scientific playing. We were, we thought, well, if it, it's going to make bone heal better, why can't we inject it into an Achilles tendon that ruptured and we just sewed it back together, see if that'll heal faster. What, when we do a rotator cuff repair and we sew the rotator cuff tendons back together, what if we inject the edges and that heals better? And we even played around with, you know, what happens if we inject our scars uh, on these big scars for you know hip replacements and see if the scars heal better and so we started playing and just kind of using it anywhere we thought we could get better healing and lo and behold it, it happened I mean we were able to to find that it was working and um, that led me to um, in 2008 um, seeing those results and then also getting fed up with insurance companies and how insurance companies were controlling medicine and controlling what patients could have and what they couldn't have, um, I decided to go a different route. And I decided to start working with patients on how to better their health um, instead of just jumping into a joint replacement, helping them with weight loss by injecting their joints with platelet-rich plasma, getting cartilage to regenerate, getting them out walking more um and uh, helping them do better and so we kind of switched to that model and really started using prp uh to promote healing and get away from surgery well that's great well let's kind of back up for a minute and so actually define for the listeners what is platelet-rich plasma like how, how do we get it just kind of describe so it. um yeah and i think that is a great place to start because i, I think there's some doctors out there that are doing it incorrectly um, it's never good to call out your fellow physicians, but in, in order to get what by definition is platelet-rich plasma is you need to have um, platelet concentrations that are anywhere from five to nine times the concentration of whole blood. 
And in order to get that, you need to start with a large volume of blood. You need to start with anywhere from 30 to 60 cc's of blood. And then you spin it in a centrifuge. And after the first spin, you get a separation between the red cells and the plasma. And you pull that plasma off and then you spin it a second time and you concentrate that plasma down even further. So if you're starting with 30 cc's of blood, you're gonna end up with about five to six cc's of platelet-rich plasma. And if you do the math, if you, have, if you start with 30 and you bring it down to six, that's five times concentration. And the, the reason that those numbers came up, the, the five to nine times concentration, is um, there's a group out in California um, that looked at how many platelets it takes to heal the body. And what they found is if there was less than 500,000 in the, in the platelet-rich plasma spe uh, specimen, um, you wouldn't get healing. And if there was over 2 million, it actually shut down the body's ability to heal. It was inhibitory. Um, so there was a sweet spot, which was about a million to a million and a half. And if you do the math on what a normal platelet count is and you calculate it out, that's where that five to nine times concentration comes from. Very good. And, and just to be clear, because uh, this seems like common sense, but I've had patients ask me, this is this is the patient's actual blood. So we're absolutely. Drawing. So yeah, that's what's great about it is we're not adding anything to it. We are taking the healing power from within your body. The things that would typically, you know, if you, you know, cut your, you know, you rub up against a branch out in the yard doing yard work and you get a little scratch and the body heals that, the body's healing that with platelets. And what we're doing is we're, we're now concentrating that power um, and we're injecting it into places that need healing uh, to promote healing in that area. Whether we're, we're injecting it into a joint was kind of where it all started. It actually started before that. Um, the dentist started using it um, when they were doing dental implants uh, actually, even before the orthopedist, uh, if they had a, um, a jaw that had been radiated for cancer and um, they were trying to get an implant to grow into that irradiated bone and they couldn't get it to grow, they were using PRP actually even before the orthopedists were and were getting some good results and orthopedic surgeons then kind of jumped on board. Um, but anywhere that you need increased healing, whether it's a joint, whether it's for sexual health, whether it's to grow hair, whether it's to get rid of wrinkles on the face, um, these are all places that you can use platelet-rich plasma uh, to start a cascade uh, to produce produce new tissue, whether it be collagen, whether it be cartilage tissue, uh, whether it be fibrous tissue and tendons to uh, get, um, get repair in that area. Perfect. Well, let, let's break that down just a little bit. Let's start with the joints, which is kind of what, where you started using platelet-rich plasma. So what specific joint conditions, you know, can this be used for and, and what kind of results can people expect? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially twofold. Um, we can look at, at the joint itself, um, which would be the, the cartilage uh, in a hip joint and a knee joint and a shoulder, and that cartilage will start breaking down from arthritis. And as long as there's cartilage left in the joint, and as orthopedists and, and actually as any physician, we grade that degree of arthritis um, all the way from zero being normal to four being no cartilage left bone rubbing on bone. And as long as there's cartilage, so as long as it's a one, two or three grade arthritis, uh, you can 
put PRP into that joint and get some cartilage repair. And so that's kind of where it mostly started. And, and when we saw that, um, then we thought, well, what about some of the structures surrounding the joint? So if you have the tendons that make up the rotator cuff in the shoulder joint, what if we injected those tendons with PRP? Could you get repair of some partial rotator cuff tears and you absolutely could and same thing with with partial tendon injuries or partial ligament injuries you know somebody strains a ligament in the knee say playing football um, you can inject that partial tear um, and get repair now the caution is is if it's too severe either it's grade four arthritis and there's no cartilage to regenerate or it's a complete tear of a ligament or tendon um, the prp can't jump the gap um, so you need a surgical repair and that surgical repair can then be augmented with PRP at the time of surgery, um, but it won't jump that gap. So you need something there to allow it to heal. So at least around this area, there are a few people doing PRP, you know, specifically for joints and stuff, but why aren't there more orthopedists using this? Because it, it seems like a, a great modality you know, to, to use for everything you just said. Why, why isn't this more common? I think that's twofold. I think one is, is uh, doctors tend to be afraid of change. Um, when, when I went through residency, the things that I learned in orthopedics was, you know, if, you know, if it's A, then it needs surgery to fix it. If it's B, it needs surgery to fix it. So if you have a worn out knee, then you replace it. If you have a worn out hip, you replace it. Um, and then the new technology came around, but I think doctors are afraid of the change. They know that the knee replacements work. Um, so they jump to what they know best. Um, and I think that doctors that adopted the change and, and looked into the science behind regeneration, I think they were quick to adopt, but I still think there's a lot of doctors out there that still do what they're most comfortable with. And then the second part of that equation is that these procedures are cash. Um, so your insurance company is not going to cover it. Um, so, you know, you, the doctor has to be sure that it's going to work and the patient is going to be laying out cash for the procedure. So they're going to want uh, to know that it works. And I think that scares both groups. I think it scares the doctors in a certain extent and it scares the patients in certain extents. But the other thing is, is the patient has to look at what the surgery can cost. You know, obviously there's going to be a copay. Obviously you're going to miss a bunch of work. Obviously there's going to be copays for things like physical therapy. Um, and then there's always the risk of surgery, you know, the risk of infection, the risk of anesthesia complications. Um, so you've got to weigh, you've got to weigh both sides. And, and I think a, an informed patient, when they hear that there's something they can do other than undergo um, a surgery, a lot of times the patients will listen to it, even if they know it has to come out of their own pocket. If somebody gets a joint injected, how quickly would they see results? I think anytime you're using PRP, I tell people that it's the rule of threes. So when you put PRP in a joint, that PRP that you put in there is gone in three days. And so that means that the body has absorbed it and has triggered a reaction inside the body to allow the body's own stem cells to go to that area and start a regeneration process. 
they will start seeing some results in about three weeks and they should reach their maximum results somewhere between three and six months. Okay, and, and that's for really any body part we're gonna talk about. That's for any body part. That's whether you're doing it in joints or then, you know, as we started doing it in joints, probably around 2010 to 2012, uh, some doctors, particularly Dr. Charles Runnels, uh, who was down in Fairhope, Alabama, started experimenting on other places you could use PRP. And um, people started using it for sexual health and using it for aesthetics and using it for hair growth. Uh, and I think, you know, this is a podcast, but if both of us, if people saw both of us um, and know that we're going to be talking about hair growth, I think we'd have some laughs because we're both, you know, bald as a cue ball. But 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 it's a podcast, so nobody needs to know that. There you go. Okay. Um, okay. Well, let's let's go on. So you know this, you know they've been doing this in joints forever, and and then this has evolved to like you said multiple uses. Um, and so let's just let's start on the top of the head. Uh, so it it's used for hair restoration. Uh, so just talk briefly about that. You know. Yeah. So um, you know what what we you know. People started experimenting. We we knew that it would grow collagen um, in you know tendons and ligaments, and we knew it would grow cartilage. So some doctors thought, well, what would it do if we injected PRP into a hair follicle? Um, would it help with with growing hair? And they found that it absolutely did. Um, the key is is there's three phases of hair growth. There's a phase called antigen, and then catagen and telogen. And and you have to be you have to have three treatments to hit all three of those phases. But essentially, what it does is it um, the first treatment will allow more follicles to grow. And then the second phase is when the hair is still attached to its blood supply and growing. So it lengthens that phase. And then the third phase is when the hair follicle um, is still, it's uh, unhooked from the blood supply, but it's still in the shaft and it prevents it from falling out early. So uh, you're getting more follicles, it's growing longer and it's falling out slower. So you have more hair and um, it works very, very well. You do have to come back about every six months to a year for a tune-up um, to keep the process going, but it works really, really well for hair growth. Okay, and then moving, kind of moving down, uh, they they use this for facials now. They do uh, so, and, and so kind of dis describe how that works. So in two thousand and ten, uh, Dr. Charles Runnels, uh, who is like I said down in Fairhope, Alabama, developed a, a technique called the Vampire Facial and then Vampire Face Lift, and what he was doing was was taking PRP uh, and um, first of all, just micro needling it, taking tiny small needles, very similar to what they use to do tattoos um, and making tiny little holes in the face and putting PRP on those holes and allowing uh, that PRP to go down to the collagen and rebuild collagen. And it would make the face glow and it would get rid of texture issues and it would get rid of some small wrinkles, especially around the mouth and around the corners of the eyes and just make a much Youthful, uh, a much more youthful appearance. And, and then he took it one step farther and said, well, if we're getting this and I take the PRP and I inject it in the face, similar to what 
um, doctors were doing with fillers like Juvederm, um, would it, you know, increase collagen deeper um, and help with, you know, rounding out the cheeks and getting rid of some deep lines you know, around the nose and around the mouth? Uh, and sure enough, it did. So um, the Vampire Facial and Vampire Facelift were founded uh, and now are very, very successful. Um, a lot of doctors are doing it in practice. Um, there's probably 3,000 or so around the country that are doing it. I know your, your wife does it uh, in her practice and, and patients are very, very happy with the results from that. And this is something what most people do yearly, twice a year? Yeah, so you get, yeah, usually the results will last actually longer than filler. Um, filler in an active patient can last three to six months, but this will usually last anywhere from a year, 15, 18 months. Uh, so you get a little bit longer. Um, a little bit longer uh, results and you can actually mix it with filler so you have to use less filler which makes the procedure overall less costly so um, there's a good combination there using it uh, in conjunction with filler to allow the filler to go to uh, extend out longer so so moving on down the body uh, they can use this for uh, a breast lift so it's they can so yeah, so um, what they found out, um, Dr. Scolfani um, did a study, uh, actually in wound care. Um, and he injected some PRP in the back of um, some people's arms just to do um, biopsies and see what the tissue was doing um, after the injection occurred. And they were looking at seeing what collagen tissue did and, and you know, what some of the other connective tissue did. And what they found was one of the things that grew really, really well was fat tissue. Um, so um, some doctors started, uh, Dr. Runnels himself, as well as some plastic surgeons thought that, it, well, if we put it in an area that has a large amount of fat, would it allow that fat to grow? Uh, and they, they found out that it did. So they started using it in the breast. Um, it doesn't, it's not intended to increase like cup size. So it's not a replacement for uh, implants, but what it will do is it will round out the appearance of the breast, uh, give more cleavage, give more tissue on the top of the breast. So if a woman's in an evening dress with a, you know, with a nice fitting bra, it'll make the cleavage look better, it'll make the breast look rounder. Um, and then they started also playing around, you know, we'll kind of skip down a little bit. They also started playing around doing the same thing uh, in the buttocks um, to do the same kind of, you know, lift to kind of round out any wrinkles or creases in the buttocks to give kind of a rounder look there as well. Um, so anywhere that there's fat that can be rounded out, um, PRP does really, really well. I wasn't familiar with this one before my wife got trained on doing all this. And when she said something about, you know, that they use it in the breast and she was going to have all this done in the training, I was really skeptical of using it for the breast. Just, I was skeptical about the results. And I have to say, since she's had it, and she's okay with me saying this, by the way, but since she's had it, it is, out of everything she had done, it is the most impressive. Yeah. Uh, and, and she would say the same thing. I mean, yeah, it, it's it, interesting. It, it, I mean, I can say first, I can say firsthand that that it works just with the uh, the, the breast looking a little more fuller in, in the in the middle and and kind of you know kind of lifting them. I mean, so it, anyway, I, I was really surprised and it's pretty impressive. Yeah, my wife had it done as well, and and she she agrees with your wife um, that she is the happiest with that result. She always had kind of 
I hate to use the word divot, but kind of a divot between her breast of an area that was kind of depressed and she hated it. And so she had the breast lift done and it filled all that in and made her cleavage a lot rounder. She actually did go up a full cup size. She went from a B to a C cup and is just completely elated. And, and you know, if it goes away, she's more than happy to have it done again because uh, she just absolutely loves the results that she got from it. So, um, and I think that's true with most women that have it done. They're just really happy. Moving on down, uh, now we get into like the P shot and the O shot, uh, which is the, you know, the sexual health. So uh, let's talk about a, a P shot. What, what is that and, and what kind of improvements can we see with that? So um, once again, um, I have to pay tribute to Dr. Runnels because as he started doing faces, he thought about where else can I use this? And, and so um, he experimented with some sexual health injections and um, actually um, did the O shot first. Um, and then the P-Shot, but with the P-Shot, um, it's injected, it's 10 cc's of, of PRP injected into the penis. Um, it's mostly for ED. Um, so if men are already starting to have some issues uh, with erectile dysfunction, um, the erection is not as hard as it used to be. It's, um, you know, they might be having problems even getting enough of an erection uh, to penetrate. Um, this is something that can definitely help. Um, if they're already using something such as um, Cialis or Viagra, or they're using you know, one of the injections like Trimix, um, this is something that can actually either, either cut down their dose of any of those treatments, or actually sometimes even get rid of it um, by having um, the single um, injection uh, of PRP um, for the P-Shot. Um, the side effect, which is a good side effect as far as men are concerned, is you can also get a little bit of increase in length and almost always some increase in girth. Um, so uh, it'll help with your erections, but also give you um, a slightly larger penis. Um, Dr. Judson Brandeis, uh, who is a um, urologist out in San Ramon, California, is actually doing a study with us uh, on penis lengthening. It's called the P-Long study. Um, and it's a, essentially a P-shot in combination with some supplements and a penis pump uh, to, um, and then he's actually recording changes uh, in length and girth. Um, so we can publish this study uh, probably sometime next year. So um, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. So when I'm talking to other men about this, always their first question is, you know, when they hear that somebody's going to give them a shot in the penis, uh, you know, their, their first question is, okay, doesn't that hurt? And so what, what would you say to that? Um, I've had it done twice. Um, and I can tell you that both times um, you can feel you can feel touch and you can feel the needle kind of go through the skin, but at never a point during the injection did I feel pain. Um, you use a topical numbing medicine, um, topical cream that really numbs it up for about three or four hours. Um, the weirder sensation is walking around for three or four hours feeling like your penis is gone. Um, but um, but yeah, not as far as pain goes, I never had it. I never experienced any pain with either of the two that I've had. Like everything else, uh, the effects of this should last approximately a year. Yeah, it should be about a year. Um, you know, we recommend that men, you know, especially, um, you know, if they're already struggling with ED, 
um, yeah, they should come back probably yearly uh, and have it, you know, have another injection done. Some men that have, you know, ED that's farther along the line of severity, um, they may need two or three injections in the beginning, you know, every month to six weeks uh, to get the result that they want. Um, but, you know, uh, most men will get a result and can even come off their medications uh, most times. Very good. Okay. So switching over to the female version of this, something we call the O-shot. So kind of describe what that is and what benefits can, can women. Well, it, so it's, it's obvious that we owe, um, that's there. I think obvious is, was for orgasm. Um, so it was the orgasm shot and, uh, that was the design. The design was when Dr. Runnels designed the O-shot, it was to increase pleasure. It was all about pleasure. Um, and, um, and it worked. Um, he did it on the first patient who actually was his girlfriend at the time. And uh, her orgasms were stronger and lasted longer, were more pleasurable. Um, it's actually two injections. Um, it's one right at the base of the clitoris and then it's one um, in the anterior vaginal wall just below the urethra. And uh, he was targeting two areas. He was targeting the clitoris for orgasm and he was also targeting what a lot of doctors refer to as the G-spot. Um, the G-spot is that little area kind of on the top of the vagina um, that is full of blood vessels and nerves that help, you know, help um, create an orgasm. So those were the two areas that he was going after. And um, it wasn't until he did his second patient. Um, he did his second patient and she came back about a week later and said, yes, my orgasms are better, but I also noticed that I used to lose some urine uh, when I would cough, laugh, sneeze, go jogging, and that's also gone. And so they realized that now the side effect um, or the secondary gain was that it also helped with stress and urinary stress incontinence. Um, and I think today, far more women come in to practices to have it done for the stress incontinence than they do um, to um, increase their orgasm. But obviously they're happy with, with results in both places. Um, so um, it's, it's good that there's um, two significant uh, improvements in outcome uh, with two separate problems. Um, I always say and uh, that, you know, I think women will pay anything to not lose urine. Um, because how embarrassing is it to be at a dinner party, sitting at a table with, you know, three, three couples and you're all talking and laughing and having a good time and you laugh too hard and all of a sudden now you just peed, you peed your pants. You know, how embarrassing is that? And so I think women will pay for the procedure just like men will pay to have an erection. Um, I think both sides of the coin are both things that are embarrassing to them um, and they'll pay for that embarrassment to go away. All right, so that's the majority of the uses for for PRP. Did did is there anything else? Did we did we? Miss well, anything? no. I think as far as you know, as far as things that are aesthetics and things that improve patients' function in life, um, I think we've covered pretty much all of it. The um, it started it started more as a medical treatment. Um, even you know when the dentists were using it and before the orthopedists started using it, um, it was mostly being used in wound care. So doctors were using it 
with hard to heal wounds, they were injecting the edges of those wounds to get increased growth. And I, I think that's where a lot of the research came from and why other people jumped on board because they were seeing these hard to heal wounds uh, healing uh, with PRP treatment. So that's kind of where it started. And then people started looking at how we could change, you know, function and, and, and appearance and, and sexual health by using it in other places of the body. But that pretty much, I think we pretty much touched on all the things. Um, at least uh, I'm currently writing a book on PRP that's never, been, there hasn't been one that's published that covers all the different aspects of it. And we've covered all the aspects in my book. So I think we've hit them. Perfect. Okay. Well, that's, that's exciting. When do you expect that to come out? Um, it's finished. Um, I'm in the process of editing it. I'll probably send it to an editor, final editor and a publisher, um, hopefully by November 1st. And I'd love to have copies in print available by Christmas. Oh, well, that's exciting. Okay. You know, this podcast is mostly about PRP or platelet-rich plasma, but a lot of the clinics who do this also do something called exosomes. And so just briefly describe what exosomes are and, and how they kind of complement uh, PRP. Yeah, so as we started, as we started developing PRP, um, even in the early 2000s, when we were really starting to collect data and look at research, um, 2006 through probably 2008, 2009, um, we noticed that we would get really, really good outcomes in our young athletes. Um, and we would get still good outcomes, but not as robust of outcomes um, in the 65-year-old you know, grandma and grandpa. And, and we knew that obviously as we age, uh, the cells in our body age as well. Um, so we started looking at things like growth factors, um, which are what's released from the platelets to allow this, this healing to occur. And, and then some really good studies came out. And we actually even had a great study come out last year um, that came out of uh, Japan. Um, and it looked at what happens to our PRP as we age. And we know that probably around age 45 is when those growth factors and cytokines that are in PRP that cause the healing start to drop off. And um, they drop off at a, at a pretty significant rate throughout our 40s, 50s, and 60s. And so a lot of doctors then started looking at what we could do to add to PRP uh, to get um, a better result. And, and we started looking at birth tissue. Um, so we looked at women that um, could donate their placenta at the time of birth um, and then use some of that placental tissue that was going to be discarded anyway, most patients, um, to uh, recover cells that could promote healing. And it started off with just amniotic fluid. Um, doctors were taking um, those cells or just taking the amniotic fluid that was recovered just prior to birth um, and they were adding sterilizing it and then adding that to their PRP um, because if the amniotic fluid could help grow a fetus to a you know mature um, newborn then it could also help grow tissue inside the body and we found that was successful and then people took it even farther and said well if we take the stem cells out of the placental tissue um, we can take the what those stem cells make, which are called exosomes. And they're little packets of 
peptides that are growth factors and cytokines, and we could add those exosomes back in to people's PRP uh, to um, potentiate the PRP and make the PRP even stronger, make a 60-year-old person's PRP as strong as, a, as PRP in a 20-year-old. Um, so we've been able to do that over the last five or six years using these exosome products. Um, I know people worry that now they're getting a product from, a, from a, another individual, but the donors, the moms that donate um, the placentas at the time of birth go through the sta same stringent um, process that if they were donating a heart or a lung or a kidney to another individual. Um, it's a 23-page process, um, takes about two hours to fill out, and um, it goes through all the risks of donating tissue, just like if you were donating uh, a, an organ to another person. So um, it's safe. Um, I would not hesitate in a minute to have it done. It's tested for all the communicable diseases, you know, hepatitis, HIV, things like that. Um, so it's very very, very safe. And, and now on the horizon, I'm actually working with a company that um, has found a way to actually um, take exosomes out of your own plasma. So another step in the PRP process um, to concentrate some, some exosomes that are left in plasma at the end to make PRP even stronger. So that's, that's going to be on the horizon and probably be available uh, by the first of the year. So there's all kinds of in, in, interesting uh, research and interesting products coming out. Uh, people are still really looking at ways to regenerate the body. Well, very good. Well, uh, I always end the podcast by just asking people to give us one tip that can just make us healthier today. One thing that, that the listeners can use, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be about today's topic, but uh, so, so what would you uh, tell listeners today. So, you know, it's, it's related to date to, to today's topic. Um, I have been fascinated for the past year about diet. Um, I've always been a big guy. I played college football. Um, and I, um, have always struggled with weight and have always been looking for ways to improve my health through diet and and so just recently, I was reading some studies that showed that fasting, both intermittent and long-term, actually affects our stem cells. Um, there was um, some really neat studies that found out that um, stem cells in the body can regenerate tissue faster if they are using fatty acids for um, nutrition over glucose. So if you put yourself in a starvation state, even for a short period of time, you're actually able to turn on your body's stem cells and to get regeneration from within. And so I wanted to play around with it. So about three weeks ago, I decided to go on um, initially what was gonna be a three to four day water fast. Um, it ended up being an eight day water fast because by day four, I felt really good and I really wasn't that hungry. So I figured I would go as long as I could. And um, so I did eight days. Um, on about day 10, I had had a major heart attack a year ago, um, September of 2019. Um, and I have, since the heart attack, I've been short of breath. Um, anytime I did any activity, even walking up the driveway to get my garbage can. And I noticed that by three days after my fast, all my shortness of breath went away. So I'm a firm believer. I think that um, things that we can do with our diet 
can change the rest of our lives. And so I think the thing that I would tell people now is that um, although it sounds like a daunting process and it sounds like it's going to be really hard, um, if you have some aches and pains that won't go away, you have things in your life that you want to change, try fasting. Even if you go three or four days, it may change, it may change the rest of your life. So I, I think that would be my recommendation yeah, at this point. That's phenomenal. And thank you for saying that. Um, you know, exactly when this podcast will come out in relation to my, my first few, but, uh, if, if listeners have, have listened to, to my previous podcast, they will know, um, I've got a, a two part series on weight loss and one of, um, I talk a lot about fasting. And so, um, I'm a huge advocate of fasting, whether you're doing it for weight loss or just general health. Um, and, and so anyway, that's fantastic. So thank you for saying that. Well, very good. Well, uh, how can people find you and what is, uh, what is the name of your, your book? That's going to be. Uh, so the name, um, the name of my book is perfect PRP. Um, and it should be out on Amazon, um, by Christmas. Okay. And then uh, to find me, the easiest way is probably by email, um, which is just Dr. Jeff, D-R Jeff, at regenmedicalgroup.com. So R-E-G-E-N medicalgroup.com. Well, very good. Uh, well, Jeff, we really appreciate it. And you are obviously, uh, you know, an, an expert on PRP. And, and so I just really appreciate your, your time and expertise on this subject. Thanks, Greg. It was a pleasure talking with you. All right. And thank you guys for listening. And if you like what you hear and you're interested in trying platelet rich plasma for any of the things that we mentioned, whether that be hair restoration, facial, breast lift, O shot, P shot, contact my wife who is in Mustang, Oklahoma at vibrantlifedc.com for a free consultation. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg at vibrantlifedc.com. This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk.